You are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. You're going to hear some familiar things today, but follow along with me. Matthew 7, 1 to 12. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let's take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Give not, do not uh, give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. As we come into this last third chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to turn his attention to our relationships. He has talked about this kingdom that he is bringing. He's talked about its ethic. He talked about its effect. He's talked about reward and treasure and religion. And now he's going to talk about how the kingdom should affect, how living in the kingdom should affect our relationships. It's a natural place for Jesus to go because being a Christian is not an individualistic experience. Being a Christian is not an individualistic experience. It's something that you have to have family around you. You have to have a spiritual home and a spiritual family and a spiritual body. Here's, here's what I'm trying to say to you. If you think you're going to love God best and be used by God most by yourself, you're mistaken. You need people around you. That's what church is. It's not perfect, but it's the way that God designed it. Christianity is not an individualistic experience. It's a community affair. The truth about what Graceway is, what it really is, it doesn't happen on this stage. It doesn't get dressed up. It doesn't sing nice. It's not a sermon. It's not a song. It's you. It's you and relating to other people in this community. That's truly what Graceway is. It's not a location, it's not an event, it's not a program, you can't dress it up, it's just the reality of how we care and love for one another. If you want to know what Graceway is, look at the relationships that make it that way. Look at the relationships within the community, and look at how this community relates to other communities, whether it be other churches, other government, government organizations, other schools, other businesses. And Jesus has said more than once that the relationships that make up The people of God are the evidence for his claims of God. John 13 and verse 35. If you really want to know whether or not Jesus is true, look at the relationships in the church. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says that our love for our neighbor is an outworking of our love for God and that it is the fulfillment of the entire law, the great commandment, Matthew 22, 37 and 39. So don't walk past this idea. You hear me talk about this a lot. Are you all with me today? Okay, let's just practice. Give me an amen just so I know you can do it. Okay. Let's talk about this for a second. Don't walk past this idea. You know, we love the idea of defending our faith. Most Christians that I know, they like talking about defending their faith, being ready to give an answer to the hope that's in me. You go to colleges and all of them have a theological defense course. It's called apologetics. We love that. I want to defend my faith. 
We love standing up for what's right, politically and socially. But watch, Jesus says that the strongest evidence, the greatest influence on the veracity of the claims of Jesus isn't apologetics, it isn't politics, it isn't social standing or order. It's the relationships that make the church what it is. If you really want to know whether or not Jesus is who he says that he is, he says, look at Graceway and how they treat each other. Now, Jesus has already taught us that loving somebody who loves you isn't a big deal. Everybody does that. Agreeing with somebody who agrees with you isn't a big deal. Everybody does that. Being kind to somebody who's kind to you isn't a big deal. Everybody does that. And this means that the distinguishing feature of the church isn't in our agreement. It's in our disagreement. That if you really want to see the gospel shine, it isn't us congratulating ourselves for what we disagree or what we agree about. It's, it's for us operating in a gospel way when we disagree and when we're different. The real opportunity for the church to show up, the real opportunity, if you really want to defend the gospel, treat your neighbor in the church better. If you really want to show people who Jesus is, let's relate to the government and schools better than we do. If you really want people to say, wow, this Jesus guy might be up to something, it's, it's not complicated. It's, it's in our love for one another. So let's, let's just think about this for a second. How does the church tend to do with disagreement? How does the church tend to handle disagreement within the church? How's it going? Should I be informed that there are other, over 200 denominations in the United States? Should that mean something to me? Do you think that God is up in heaven going, this is exactly what I meant? Should it say something to us that there's 45,000 denominations, evangelical denominations on the globe today? 45,000. And the thing that's ironic about our divisions is that the thing that we blame for our divisions is doctrine. We blame the Bible for the things that separate us from one another. We say, well, they believe that and we believe this, so we're going to start a denomination, we're going to split this one. We literally do what the Bible tells us not to do and say that we're defending the Bible as we're doing it. We justify division by doctrine when Jesus says the primary doctrine is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's talk about our relationship to those outside the church. How does the church relate to the world and how does the world view the church? Do you think that the world has major issue with Jesus? Do you hear that a lot? That Jesus guy, he just gets on my nerves. I don't hear that a lot. I, don't, I, I actually hear the opposite. I hear people intrigued and curious and tell me more about this Jesus guy. What they don't want is the people who say they love Jesus. They say, Jesus is great. It's the church folks that I don't understand. Y'all can't even get along with each other. I got my own family issues. Why? I got to go to a place on Sunday and deal with your family issues. I don't see any difference. You guys fight about different things and use big words to explain why you're disagreeing, but it feels the same as Thanksgiving dinner that I'm not looking forward to in a couple weeks, right? I think that's how the world thinks about it. And if we're honest and we look around, and I don't mean my Thanksgiving dinner, my Thanksgiving dinner is going to be awesome, all right? When we think about the state of the church, especially in the United States, and we say, are we unified as Jesus prayed? Are we good evidence for the claims of Jesus as Jesus hoped? Or are we divided and are we broken and are we catty and are we petty? And are we using the, the, the Bible to defend ourselves while we're disobeying the Bible? If the idea gives you pause like it does me, if you think there's work to be done like I do, then what does Jesus prescribe for us? 
How does Jesus tell us how to fix it? And Jesus again and again and again, I come to Jesus with what I think he's going to say, and again and again and again, Jesus says something opposite. Have you ever noticed that? It's one of the things that I love about Jesus. Every time I think I have Jesus pinned me down, pinned down, like I know what he's going to say next. Nope, he doesn't. Jesus never does it my way. It's frustrating. Jesus never agrees with me. It's frustrating. And when it comes to division and unity and love between ourselves, Jesus is, as usual, going to get right to the heart of the matter. Matthew 7 and verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. The plan for Christian relationships, don't judge so that you don't get judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus seems to understand, even assume, even expect that even in the community of the redeemed, there's going to be disagreement. Now, why do I say that? I say that because I'm afraid that some of us have higher expectations for the church than God does. <laughs> I think that some of us expect we should come to church and never be made to feel uncomfortable. I can promise you Graceway is not the church for you if that's what you want. I'm trying to make you feel uncomfortable right now. I'm trying to, to comfort the distressed and distress the comforted. Yeah, but some of us, we come to church and we say, just, I, I don't want you up in my business. I, I, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I never want to disagree and I never want to be disagreed with. And the teaching of Jesus is most applicable when we disagree. Jesus is saying, when you disagree, not if. And he's calling us not to avoid disagreement. He's calling us to disagree differently. Disagree helpfully, disagree healthily, which is what we tend to not do. Now, in saying don't judge, Jesus isn't saying stop discerning between speaking to right and wrong. That's how the world hears this. You can't judge me, Jesus tells you not to. Jesus isn't saying lose the ability to say that's wrong and that's right. What he is saying, what he is saying is that we tend to determine right and wrong in a biased way and in an incorrect way. You think you're right, but you're not. You think you're getting at the issue, but you're not. And when you do, the version of judgment that you use creates distance between relationships and harm in relationships. You have a perspective, I have a perspective and an emphasis that creates relational hurdles. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Let's stop being judgy but rather decide not to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Paul says what Jesus says, that it's not the inability to say that's right and it's wrong, it's the acknowledgement that sometimes my judgments create distance between and create barriers between me and you. Between me and you. So, so what are the ways that we judge? Let's, there, there's many things we could talk about, but I just, I just want to give you three. I think they're the most obvious ones. Number one is, is we judge externally. We, we judge the external. I'm going to say a phrase, and if you know it, I need you to finish it. Okay, you ready? Uh, don't judge a book. Okay, so you knew it, right? Well, why, why do you know that phrase? Because you do that phrase. You do that phrase, and, and, and I do that phrase. We have the propensity to make a decision about a book by whether or not we like the graphics on the cover. We don't want to take the time to get in the content of the book. And we do the same thing with people. But our judgment is 
almost always, like 100% of the time, external. It's a facial expression, it's body language, it's how a person is dressed or what a person drove up in. And we make a decision about that person. Let me just prove it to you. What if for the next six weeks, I just showed up here not dressed like this? Well, why am I wearing a jacket? Why do I look incredible right now is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) The reason that I look incredible is because I know that if you're a guest here and we don't know each other, you're making a decision about me based on how I'm dressed. If I were wearing a hoodie, a cutoff t-shirt, and some denim jorts, come on somebody with the jorts, and flip-flops, like it was all, you could see it all, you'd be like, what hill did this guy just come in off of? Why? Because we judge externally. Because we judge externally. Psychologists call it the halo effect. It's, it's that uh, I put a radius around somebody based on my first impression. If it's a good first impression, I assume that the next interaction will be good. Like this, we tend to think that friendly people are going to be generous people. We tend to think that successful people are going to be helpful people. Have you, do you know, I met a lot of successful people who are too busy to be helpful, and I met a lot of friendly people who are Scrooges. But, but we do this. We think, oh, they look successful, so of course they want to help me be successful. The opposite is true as well. If, if my first impression of you, which is always an external impression, then I, is bad, then I assume the next interaction will be bad. Listen, if you saw me on Monday, I'll be looking tired, I'll probably have a hoodie on, I'll have a hat pulled down low, you wouldn't be like, that's the senior pastor of Graceway Church. You'd be like, who's the homeless guy pulling up beside me? Yeah, it's true. It's true. And you can make a decision about the church. Why? Because we're prone to decide things. Watch. About the external. About the external. My daughter and I had a conversation uh, about about the value system of the United States. And and I was saying to her, being weird in the United States is, is fine as long as you're cute. Yeah? Like, if you're weird, but you're cute, you're mysterious and artistic. Yeah. Uh, it's fine to be weird as long as you're rich. Because if you're weird and you're rich, you're eccentric. The last thing you want to be in this country is weird, broke, and ugly. The last thing you want to be in this country, listen, be weird as long as you're cute. Be a weird as long as you're rich, but if you're weird and you ain't cute and you ain't got cash, well then baby, you're just weird as you stand over there. <laughs> now watch what we do. In this country, because our hierarchy is external, we create a hierarchy of values and we put people into categories based on, not who they are, how they look and what they have. And then we obsess about getting into the right categories. We spend the most amount of time investing into the least important things about us. Listen, what you have, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. You can't take it with you. It's the least important thing about you, but you spend a lot of time worrying about your stuff, don't you? Listen, this January 1, everyone in this room is going to think to themselves, I really ought to get in shape. Why? Why do you care? Because you know that we judge people externally. You know 
that if you are fit, you look successful. If you look successful, we assume you have money. If we assume you have money, we respect you more in this country. We judge people externally and we put people in categories that they should not be, but we do not invest the time to find out otherwise. Secondly, when we judge, we assume we're right. (laughs) When we judge, we assume that we're right. We assume that our impressions, external as they may be, are accurate. I assume that my feelings are right all the time. I see something, I have a reaction to something, and I never think to myself, was that the right reaction? I never think to myself, I don't like how they looked at me, that makes me feel insecure. Should I feel insecure? No, no, I decide that I know their intentions. We not only assume that we know what happened, we assume that we know why it happened. Listen, you did it today. You did it today. There's a guy standing on the corner at our exit coming off of Highway 7 and he's holding a sign. It's either some type of creative pithy sign, right? I'm just gonna be honest, I'm gonna buy beer. Or it's God bless, homeless, that, that kind of deal. And if you're going to be honest, there's been times when you pulled up beside that guy and you said something like this, bro, get a job. You made a decision. You made a decision about that person. Not only what they were doing, but why they were doing it. And you gave them instructions based on your external impression. One of these days, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to dress up like a homeless guy and I'm going to have a sign. And when you look over and glare at me, I'm going to be like, it's me. (laughs) We assume that we know why somebody is homeless. We assume that we know why somebody's a Republican or why somebody's a Democrat. We assume that we know why somebody's rich and why somebody's poor. We assume that we know why someone's successful and why someone's struggling. We assume that we know why somebody has good mental health or struggles in their mental health. We assume that we know why somebody's not an addict or why somebody is an addict. We assume that we know why someone went to prison and why other people don't go to prison. We assume that we know why they live in that part of town or why they live in Lee's Summit. We don't ask, we decide. And we decide one-dimensionally, don't we? Here, here's what I mean. When, you, when my actions are judged, what do I use to defend myself? I use my intent. No, 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 you don't understand why I did that. It was because of this. But, but the opposite isn't true. When I judge your actions, I not only assume, but I assign your intent. You wouldn't have done that if you weren't. And when we judge, we say, when, when I'm judged, I say something like this, baby, it's not that, it's not that simple, right? <laughs> Hang on, let me, let me explain. Let me, let me tell you what happens so you understand why, but we don't do the other. Whenever somebody does something that we don't like, we assume that we know why they did it. And even when they try to explain to us the complexity of the situation, we keep driving it back to this simple, one-dimensional assumption that we've assigned to them. This is free, by the way. There's a reason that the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger so that bitterness doesn't get a hold. Here's why. Because assigned motivations are like poured concrete. They get harder with time. 
So God says, don't let much time go between an offense and reconciliation because your narrative will tend to calcify. Listen, the reason that I'm always checking y'all on the guy who's asking for money is I know you've been saying get a job to a lot of homeless folks for a long time. And now you don't only have a perspective on that homeless guy, you have a perspective on all the homeless. The reason I'm always messing with you about politics, it isn't because I care about politics. I don't. I care about your hearts. And some of you all have made a decision about Democrats, and now it's not the Democrats you know, it's all Democrats, including the ones that you don't know and don't know that you exist. And the same is true about Republicans. Some of you have decided that you have to have a certain skin color and a certain net worth to be a Republican because you know one that's like that. But you don't say, I know John and he's a Republican that's like that. You say, all Republicans are. And what are you doing? You're making a judgment. You're making a judgment. And if nobody checks you on your judgment and you go through lots of sunsets, you wake up one day absolutely certain that your perspective is right and you're dead wrong. You do it in your marriage too, by the way, but we'll save that for another sermon. So I, I judge externally. I assume that I'm right. And then at the exact same time, I judge dishonestly. So, so watch. Um, I name your splinter a log, and I call my log a splinter. The thing you do is a huge deal. The thing that I do, let me explain why. Whenever you screw up, I demand justice for you. Whenever I screw up, I demand grace for me. I compartmentalize my sins so that what I do isn't who I am. Just because I lied, it doesn't mean I'm a liar. Just because I cheated doesn't mean I'm a cheater. <laughs> Even though Jesus says if you look lustfully at a woman, you're already guilty of adultery. Even though Jesus says if you speak insults to somebody, you've already murdered them. I say, no, 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 I lied, but I'm, I'm actually honest. It's complicated, let me explain. But if you lie, oh baby, you're a liar for all eternity. If you cheat, you're a cheater for all eternity. If you break trust, we're done. If I break trust, it's complicated, let me explain. You see, I don't afford you what I demand from you. I'm quick to criticize, but I'm thin-skinned when you offer criticism, even if it's constructive. I simply, here's the, here's the deal. I simply don't think that I can afford an economy of grace even though it's clear that I need it. I can't afford to give you grace because I don't feel safe if I give you grace, but I'll take all the grace that God wants to give me. I require of you something that I have no intention of providing you. Jesus says these habits that we have are contagious. When you treat people this way, you should expect to be treated this way. Listen, this is why marriages get toxic. Listen, I know that you used to love them, but you've been doing this for a long time, and you didn't fall out of love, you beat love out of your relationship. You judged love out of your relationship because you think you're right, and you think they're wrong, and you thought you're right through enough sunsets that your belief systems and your narratives about them were never challenged, and the enemy just fed you bitterness year after year after year after year. And now, no matter what they say, no matter what God's doing, you're not going to believe it because you know and they're wrong. This is why families get toxic. This is why you don't like being in the same room as your kids. Because they act like kids. 
They do dumb things. They say dumb things. And you assign adult motivations to them. I do. Why are you doing that? Because I'm a kid. Well, stop. And I let things build up in my heart. This is why churches get toxic. Because, because we think that we know how to do relationships, but Jesus is coming along, and my goodness, he is thumb deep in it right now, isn't he? Jesus is saying that thing that's broken, baby, it's you. It starts with you. But you've never met my wife. No, she's broken too. But it starts with you in your heart. But I need you to start with her. Nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start with you. And if you want this to change, if you want this to end, you got to be willing to go first. You see, a lot of times in the church, we want the other person to have integrity. We want the other person to be righteous. We want the other person to be forgiving. But when push comes to shove, I don't want to be that. I just want the benefit of you being that. And Jesus says, if you're going to judge, you should expect to be judged. If you're going to act like you're holy, and they're going to act like they're holy, you should expect a barrier between the two of you that is insurmountable until somebody says, you know what? It's conceivable that I was wrong. You know what? I bring my own junk to this. You know what? I need God to do some things in me, whether he ever does something in you. So what's a Christian relationship? Number one, you still with me? A Christian relationship intends to see somebody's heart. Not just see the external, not just see the jacket or the car or the house or the position. No, I'm trying to see somebody's heart. And Jesus has spent an incredible amount of time emphasizing the internal in the Sermon on the Mount, hasn't he? Again and again and again. He says the world looks at the external, but God looks at the heart. The church looks at the external, but God looks at the heart. Your reward is connected to heaven and connected to your heart again and again and again. And if you want God to be involved in your relationships, you have to start by admitting that you are the barrier. Listen, I'm going to say this in the first person because it's true and because I want you to have some time to think. Are you ready? I judge people by their externals. I judge people by what they're wearing, by where they work, by the degrees they have, by what they drive, by where they live, by what they like, by what their hobbies are, by who their friends are, by how they talk. And you know what's the craziest thing about it? I judge their faith by all those things. I have a definition of faith that is tied up in how you act, how you dress, where you go, what you watch. And before you get too judgy, so do you. So do you. Otherwise, I'd be up here in my jorts and flip-flops. I don't know why I'm dogging on the jorts. They're fantastic. You know, I judge your heart by how your actions make me feel. I judge your intent by how your actions make me feel. Which means that most of my relationships are self-centered. You look at me a certain way. Why are you looking at me like that? Why'd you say it like that? Why is your tone that? Why you keep doing that? How many times I got to say that and you just choose intentionally to hurt me again and again and again? And before you get too judgy, so do you. And when I judge the externals and when I allow my heart 
to make decisions based on your actions, I assume that I'm right mo- a thousand percent of the time. Listen, we rarely enter into disagreements with curiosity about the other person's heart. And it affects every relationship that we have. You assume that you know why your wife said that. You assume that you know why your husband doesn't do that. You assume that you know why your kid talks to you that way. You assume that a Republican is, that a Democrat is. You assume that a black person thinks. You assume that a white person believes. That's why we say dumb things like, I have a friend who's... Oh, so knowing that one person lets you know, you see, we even do it there. We assume that we're right. But a Christian is somebody who says, I'm not going to do what America does and emphasize the external. I'm a Christian, and so I'm going to seek the heart. I'm going to seek the heart. And the inability that I have to do this says more about me than it does about you. My inability to be curious about your heart says nothing about you. It says something about me. So first, we have to seek to understand and see the heart. Second, we have to admit that it's complicated. It's complicated. The truth is, in relationship, two things can be true. Two things can be true. Now, Christians tend to struggle with this idea because we love to emphasize truth. We love to emphasize absolute truth, right? There's a difference between true and truth. Did you know? We love to talk about these things because it makes us feel safe, because it's simple, because it's clean, because it's easily weaponized. But listen, we aren't talking about Scripture. (laughs) We aren't talking about the character of God. We're talking about you. Talking about you and your marriage. Talking about you and your kids. Talking about you and your workplace. Talking about you and your relationships, and one of the most damaging things in any relationships is when one or both parties act like there's only one version of the truth, and it just happens to be theirs. Listen, relationships are complicated, and acting like they aren't is a quick way to ruin them. And so what do I have to do? I have to first intend to see your heart, and then I secondly have to admit that it's complicated and a lot of things come into it. And I have to be humble. I have to admit, man, I got my own trauma. Anyone in this room have trauma? Raise your hand. Okay. Some of you, your trauma is that you're a liar. Because your hand's not up right now. Yeah. Yeah, everybody in this room has trauma. And it doesn't stop at the door of the house that your, your marriage is in. I have bias. Anyone in this room have bias? Yeah. I, I think that Royals fans don't understand baseball. <laughs> the point is to score runs and win. No. Anyways. Listen, I have bias. Anyone? Raise your hand. I'm just going to keep asking until I get all the hands. So let's make this quick, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I have preferences. I like things a certain way. Anyone? Yeah. Here, here's, um, I have an ego. Yeah, anyone? Probably both hands. Just throw your hands in the air and wave them like a just. Yep, and all of those things, my trauma, my bias, my preference, my ego, 
If it wasn't complicated before, it's complicated when I show up. And if I can admit that it's complicated, I can admit that it would be better because it's complicated for me to listen. When something's complicated, I need to listen because when something's complicated, I need to learn. And I don't learn by talking. I don't learn by defending what I already know. I don't learn by assuming that I'm already right. I learn when I say, buddy, why is this happening right now? Tell, tell, me, tell me how you're viewing it. Tell me how you're experiencing me. Tell me why you believe that. Tell, tell me why, why you struggle with that. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be up in your business here for a second because this continues to bother me. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to talk to people who look like me. Just, just real quick, okay? Part of the reason that we struggled so much during COVID is that we never asked a black person why their struggle was what their struggle was. Part of the reason that we struggled around George Floyd is that he never sat down with somebody and said, tell me why you're mad and you feel unsafe right now. Part of the reason that we struggled so much with COVID is that we assumed that if somebody was wearing a mask that we knew their political stance and we knew why their political stance was what their political stance was. We never said, can we go to coffee when we're allowed to go to coffee? And you tell me through the mask why that's a big deal to you. And I promise you, I did this time and time again. I sat down with people, and the reason was they loved somebody at home that they were trying to keep safe. It didn't have anything to do with Joe Biden or Donald Trump. But I assumed that I knew. I made a decision for somebody, and I judged that person. And do you know what happened when I judged that person? They judged me back. And we had churches that got less healthy during COVID when we should have been stronger than ever. We should have been stronger than ever. And my inability, my inability to admit that it's complicated says more about me than it does about you. My inability to ask questions and then sit there quietly, my inability to seek understanding at the heart level, not just the intellectual, it says nothing about you. It says something about me. And then number three, you got to tell the truth. <laughs> You gotta tell the truth, here's the truth. Um, it's about the heart, it's complicated, and I'm broken. Anyone in this room bro broken? Okay, I'm just gonna stand here until everyone raises their hand. Yeah, everybody in this room is broken. Everybody in this room is sinful. And if you cannot admit that, then you are already broken in that you are either too arrogant or too naive to be able to say, yeah, I got stuff. Yeah, I got stuff. You married a sinner. You did stuff with that sinner that you wanted to do, and then you had a baby. Who's a sinner? You work for a sinner. The president's a sinner. The mayor's a sinner. It's broken, and you're part of the brokenness. You aren't exempt from it. You aren't exempt from the brokenness. But listen, we come with profound self-righteousness to these issues. Here's the question. How big of a piece of wood in your eye causes problems? <laughs> have you ever thought about this? Jesus is like, some of y'all got splinters and some of y'all have a piece of firewood in your eye. But what doesn't he say? He doesn't say, some of y'all got nothing. But what do we do? We like to qualify and quantify sin when we should be helping each other see we should be helping each other see. Listen, tell the truth. You're part of the problem. No, I'm not. Ah, see, now you're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. 
This country's broken. Yep, and you're in it. This city's broken, uh huh. And this church is in it. My kids are messed up, yep. And you brought them into this world. My marriage is struggling, yep. You must be too. This church is a mess. Well, we weren't until you came. (laughs) We were perfect, and then you showed up. Oh, we were perfect and then they hired me. Come on, be honest. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. And your inability to tell the truth says more about you than it does about them. And watch, your inability to step over their fault until they admit their fault and then make space for you to admit yours says nothing about them. I can tell you a quick way to, to shorten every single argument with your spouse for the rest of time. Here it is. When you feel it starting to amp amp up, you know what I'm talking about? When you're like, oh, we're doing it. You start taking your jacket off, like stretching. Yeah, like, come on, baby. Yeah. You know that moment. At that moment, say, okay, we're both going to start with where we were wrong. Have you ever done this with your spouse? You know what? You're right. You're right. I was wrong. I was wrong here, 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 here. It doesn't mean that they didn't do anything wrong. It just means that you're telling the truth. And what what does God say? God says that when when you are humble, grace is easier. But when you are arrogant, grace gets very difficult. And your inability to go first and saying, I was wrong. I was wrong. Doesn't mean you were right, but I was wrong. It means you can't tell the truth. And that says more about you than it does about them. Lastly, is we have to make relationships more important than being right. Jesus says, hey, don't don't give dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now remember, later Jesus has compared the kingdom of heaven to a pearl of great price. So Jesus is speaking of a kingdom that he is currently offering to the Jews, but he will soon offered to the Gentiles whenever the Jews reject his messianic claims to which all Gentiles say, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Uh, The church was never plan B. Church was never plan B. First off, some of y'all have your Bibles so divided up that you misunderstand that the church was always God's plan. Church was always God's plan. God doesn't do plan B. Like, I really wanted to do that, but those Hebrews... No, God doesn't do that. Just like he doesn't do that with you. The terrible things that come into your life, he's like, no, I'm going to use those terrible things for good because I don't do plan B. The church was always for, for a church that was every tongue, tribe, and nation. Heaven isn't just going to be one people, it's gonna, people group. It's going to be all people groups. Okay, but the principle, the principle remains, and the principle is this. There's a point in relationships when you choose the relationship or you choose to say it. Choose the relationship or choose to do it again. Choose the relationship or keep talking. Choose the relationship or be right. You can be married or you can be right. You can be a good parent or you can be right. You can be a good boss or employee or you can be right. You can be a good citizen or you can be right. And in the church we struggle because we think the truth is the only thing. And God says it's important, but the way you handle the truth also matters. 
as important as it is to you, is it good or helpful for the relationship? My wife and I just were at an event and the guy was speaking and he said, here's how you can know if something is healthy. Is it true? Is it helpful? And is it kind? Okay, we in the church, we like to operate on it's true, deal with it. But that's not healthy and it's not working, is it? Just because it's true doesn't mean you need to say it. Just because it's true doesn't mean you get to say it however you want. It's true, say it helpfully and say it kindly, and this is for free as well. Part of the reason that we talk to each other the way that we do is that you talk to yourself that way. You say things to yourself that aren't true, that aren't helpful, and aren't kind, and it just spills out of the abundance of your heart onto your spouse, onto your kids. It's not true, you stop saying it. It's not helpful, you don't have to say it right now. It's not kind, you don't have to say it that way. And my inability to do this says more about me than it does about you. It says more about me than it does about you. Now this is where it gets interesting and we're almost done. Are you still with me? Yes. Matthew 7 and verse 7, Jesus kicks into this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks it will be open. And then he does this like, y'all are sinful and you still give your kids good gifts. Don't you know that I'm going to give you good gifts as well? Now, how many of you have heard that ask, seek, and find in the context of prayer? Yeah, it, raise your hand, because if you've been coming to this church, you've heard me preach that message. Okay. And obviously, that principle is true. Obviously, that principle applies, but that's not the context that Jesus is talking about. Jesus talks about relationship, says the ask, seek, knock thing, and then goes back to relationship, which means that the whole thing, he's talking about relationships. So what is he saying? He's saying ask earnestly with repetition for Christian relationships, for kingdom relationships. And don't simply ask that God would provide you with them. Ask that God would make you the kind of person who can do them. How often? Again and again and again. God, help me be the kind of person who sees the heart. God, help me be the kind of person who's self-aware enough to admit that it's complicated. Help me to be the kind of person who's humble enough to, to be honest and say, it was me, I broke it, and to show empathy when they break it. Help me to be, be the kind of person, here's a big one, who loves people more than I love being right. Help me to be the kind of person who has the bandwidth and the heart to do for them what I would want them to do for me, and even when they are actively not doing it. Ask, seek, and knock. And here's what God says. You know what it means to give your kids good gifts. And if you'll do that, I'll give you a good gift. What's that good gift? Christian, kingdom, godly relationships. But your relationships start with you. Your relationships, they start with you. Listen, stop praying for God to fix your spouse. Ask God to fix you. Stop asking for God to fix your boss. Ask God to deal with you. Stop asking for God to fix the political system. Ask God to fix the church. Listen, we always want God to start someplace else and God's up in heaven going, I want to start with you. I want to fix your marriage through you. I want to fix your relationship with your kids through you. I want to fix your work environment through you. I want, to fix, I want to fix Kansas City through you, Graceway. Stop praying for them. Ask God to fix you. 
and ask again and seek again and knock again, again and again and again. And God says, if you ask me for that, I'll give it to you. What could your future be if God made you different now? Imagine what your marriage could look like in six months if you trusted God with it now. Not with them. Trusted, trusted God now. Imagine what your home could look like if you stopped praying for them and started asking God to deal with you. Imagine what, it, what this could, church could look like. Imagine what this city could look like. Imagine what this country would look like if the church would stop praying for anyone but them and started saying, God, I'm gonna ask you again. I'm gonna seek again. I'm gonna knock again until you give me this heart for people that you have. I'm gonna trust you with me and then I'm gonna trust you with them. But deal with me first. I humble myself first. I seek you first. I knock for me first and I trust you with what comes next. God, we love you today. And God, I thank you that you went first with me and continue to go first, even though I continue to fail you. I thank you, Lord, that you didn't just look on the exterior that was broken. You even knew that my heart was black and defiant and enemy against you. And while I was a long way off, you saw me coming. While I was a long way off, you died for me. While I was your enemy, you sent Jesus to the cross for me. God, I thank you for grace. God, I thank you for mercy. God, I thank you for patience. God, I thank you for long suffering in my life. And God, I pray that you'll allow us to be the type of Christians that carry this kingdom with us into our marriages, into our homes, into our work environments, into our neighborhoods, into the city that we inhabit, Lord. But, but let it start with us. Let it start with us. We come before you and we confess. We come before you and we repent. We come before you and say we broke it. Would you redeem it and rebuild it? Give you the glory because we trust you when you say you'll give it to us. We trust you with what comes next and we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said.